Cowabunga dudes! Uh, hey there, it's Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you are listening to Grail Hunters Australia podcast with my friends Neville, Ben, and Michael. It's awesome. It's gonna be the best show ever! Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Grail Hunters Australia Podcast. With COVID behind us, we're going to be shaking things up a bit. We're going to have more episodes more often. Long in-depth episodes featuring international and local guests talking about comics, collectibles and everything else. But then also short and punchy episodes where we're going to be doing features, reviews and just shooting the breeze with Ben and myself. So as always, crack a beer, put your feet up and enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome. Um, another episode this time with a different focus we've got a special guest um i'd like i'd like you to introduce yourself because you know yourself better than we do um <laughs> do, you want, do you want to jump into it my name my name's matt uh matt roeball also known as define triple nine uh i'm excited to be here guys I, i'm really excited to be here and talk yeah. uh comics and international editions that's good my stuff. whole thing baby yeah good stuff excited and, to have you and uh obviously myself and ben no mike today we've got another another uh, podcaster counterpart but he's usually off drunk or finding finding new girlfriends <laughs> somewhere over weekends so he's he the go. young he's the young chap yes yes with, yes, with the, the hardware part. in the nose i saw him on, the, him. on the show that's him years. yeah 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 it's like uh it's like neville and i he's like our child you know with <laughs> he's do you know what? Ben isn't very wrong. We've had to, um, I've had the cops come out in San Diego to ask me about him. And I'm like, yeah, he's with me. Oh, <laughs> he's man. on legal well, age. Hey, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. If he's in San Diego with his beautiful Australian accent, He's a pussy magnet. And if, he's a young, if he's a young guy, he's a fool for not being out there getting crazy. Well, uh, uh good intro because i'm gonna be in san diego in six weeks <laughs> for san yeah. Diego Comic Con. yeah i mean <laughs> i'll be there wife, with my girlfriend but you know yeah my wife and... loves your accent yeah. she is like she's like all about it yeah. but, and, and and you're talking about australian accents there right? australian not the south african not the south african one she likes she likes british accents too um but her her real dream is new zealanders Oh, really Jeez, then chops. she might as well like south africans because new zealand and south africans are just as flat in their tones yeah maybe anyway. so anyway yeah. the episode's not about accents <laughs> <laughs> so welcome matt like um thank you just a bit of background i met you online because i've kind of developed a, a kind of passion or a side quest so imagine you're playing a role-playing game mm-hmm. uh, my mission is to try and collect all the marvel first appearances and on the side i became uh interested in foreign prints of stuff that i couldn't afford in the first place over the past five years or so right and um, we kind of moved past each other over over facebook for for a few years and a few months but since i joined uh the foreign comic magazine page that's where we started actually talking and chatting and you you run um groups and i was going to ask you so it's a real magazine right it's not just a a group it was like our group is called the podcast without a podcast sometimes (laughs) The life has gotten in the way, but it was a real magazine. Yeah, yeah. So, so is that how it started? Was it as promotion for the magazine, and it became a community? No, uh, it actually started like lots of things start in a very organic and kind of accidental way. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, I'll, I'll try to give a, a very quick Reader's Digest version how that started. But basically, oh, there give was us a, a penthouse version too. Whichever oh, you want. you want the penthouse yeah, version? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay, so I can cuss on this podcast. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's what we're for. Okay, so, so basically. We fucking thrive on it. Don't worry. Okay, well then, fuck <laughs> yes. Fuck yeah. Um, so basically, you know, I, like you guys, was into comic collecting. I, you know, fallen out of the hobby post-speculative crash. I think I sold my whole collection. Is that for late enough 90s? money? This was like, I'd say this would be 93, 94. Yeah. So the and I sold my crash. whole collection. Go ahead. The comic.com crash. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the post speculative crash. I sold my whole collection for 50 bucks to buy weed. Okay. <laughs> and I was more interested in getting laid and I just moved away from it. Well, you know, life happens, things slowed down. I grew up. And I found my way back into comics and I started collecting uh, stuff that I enjoyed when, when I started collecting, you know, I'm a child of the eighties. So the copper age, you know, all the anti-heroes, Wolverine, Punisher, all of that. But then what I, what I started realizing, and this was even back in, you know, the early two thousands was as I worked my way into the silver age, shit got really expensive, even back then. And I have a family and I have, you know, I've got responsibilities. I just can't blow two, three, four grand on a book. Uh, not only that, uh, with the advent of the slab, which I, I like slabs. I'm not against slabbing. Hmm. But it seemed like the hobby for me was taking on this kind of rope kind of buy and flip, buy and flip, chase a number on a slab, chase that 9-2, chase that 9-4, get that 9-8. And it just started losing something for me. So... Yeah, you know the group kind of started at the CGC boards. There was a, a whole bunch of hardcore guys there, but it actually started with these two guys. There's a guy named Hector Banda and a guy named Liam Sturgis, and they had started this kind of focus on international, quasi foreign editions of key books. And they started building what, what we call in the foreign world sets. So a set is basically a cut, like say the cover of Spider-Man 300. You're going to build a set. You're going to get every single one that you can from around the world. And not only that, in the early days, you had to research it. You had to know, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time, you can't collect what you don't know exists. Mm. So you especially back then you had to almost be a scholar you had to almost be yeah. someone researching this stuff you had to have a so uh, for context a, yeah for context to yeah, ben because ben is also not as into comics he knows a lot more now than he did when we started the podcast but uh, for context the american stuff has got it's more regulated in value there's a fair market value you can quickly and easily see oh this book's a seven dollar book near man or it's a seven hundred dollar book near man because there's so many reference guides there's clz yes. there's ebay there's fucking if there's collector price guides there's overstreet there's cgc sensors there's everything like the american stuff is there other countries not so much <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit more western cowboy country where uh you have to fucking believe in yourself take a punt sometimes before somebody else takes it or you have to take a month to research what you're looking for because you don't know what it is yet and but their opportunity that. lies man their opportunity lies doesn't yeah. it really that's yeah. the heart of it you're in the man. wild west you're prospecting yeah. so, you gotta so, grab and this is the thing so easy to just hit buy it now on ebay right but yeah. to do this shit the way we were doing it back then it's gotten easier now but to do this shit back then 
You had to grab your balls, mate. Yep. Yep. You had to grab your balls and send money by Western Union. You had to reach out. You had you had to take risks. Yeah, that and it's probably what... pre-Facebook too, or just at the start of Facebook. Yeah, this is right? pre-Facebook. So, so there's no yeah. PayPal regulating the transaction. You don't have insurance. You just have to fucking suck it up. You and just hope have to suck it up, grab your balls, and hope shit happens. <laughs> and you know, and we can get into that more detail later. But yes. yeah, so so anyway, the CGC boards is where the 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 creme de la creme of comic book. Uh, uh, collectors hang out. I was never there. I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, yeah. I'm joking. In America. In America. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. I agree. We, you know, in America, we give the CGC forums kind of a, we put oh, it yeah. on a pedestal. I get it. I get it. The most amazing collectors go and show yeah. and do all no, that I stuff there. Anyway. So, it is the heavy so hitters, right? The heavy hitters are there. So I found these two guys and they took me under their wing and they showed me how to do this stuff. And from there, we started showing a few others and a few others. And early on, there was this kind of backlash against what a lot of the mainstream collectors considered to be foreign reprints. Now, we know that in the comic book hobby, the reprint classification is actually a stigma. It's a stigma. It's like a scarlet letter. It's like, you know, you're different. You're not good enough. It's, it's a way to poo-poo something. And me and these kind of hardcore cabal group of guys, I'd say like maybe 30, between 30 and 50, because people come in and flow out and you guys would come in. But I'd say between 30 or 50 guys, we created like this, this, these massive PM threads behind the scenes, not in public, behind the scenes where we were helping each other, where we were advancing the hobby, where we were sharing knowledge and, um, we just, it, we just kind of organically grew from there. And then what ended up happening was I wrote the first article on this shit. So I have a journalistic background. I worked at the Roswell Daily Record. You guys have heard of the UFOs yes, in Roswell, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, they never left. Their DNA is still within me. But There you go. <laughs> um, I feel like we're going to bring you back for another episode on that. Yeah, you want to talk <laughs> aliens? I can yes. do that too. But anyway, so I grew up in Roswell. I worked at the Roswell Daily Record and I, I caught, kind of caught the journalistic bug. So I, I, I went and I moved on and I have my professional life. I'm, a, I'm an artist. I'm a graphic artist. But I always enjoyed, you know, seeking that stuff out and writing about it. And um, what ended up happening was I wrote the very first article, which was uh, comic book collecting with a foreign variant focus. Now, variant is wrong. At the time, I was too ignorant to quite understand it. But I wrote that article, and that article was sort of the impetus for the magazine. And so at a certain point, we decided, we know all these people, we, we, we know all the, the heavy hitters in the hobby, including guys from all over the world, let's write about it. And that's where Foreign Comic Collector Magazine came through. And we're talking old shit, guys. We're talking 2014. Yeah. Yep. 2013. You know, um, we were doing this back when nobody cared. And uh, we made, you know, we, we shared the magazine. We created a couple forums. We did all that. And then we eventually moved on to Facebook. Um, and all of the people that were involved in the magazine, there was a lot of guys. Tim Bildhauser, Ken Worthing, um, Tony Pamillas, Scott McManus, uh, the Rickard brothers. I mean, I could go on and on and on of these guys that were forward thinking enough because... This is the problem in normal mainstream comic book collecting. Everyone follows each other, right? There's trends, 
There's speculative stuff that happens. FOMO. It's FOMO, man. It's yeah. FOMO. So the guys that were into this shit way back then, guess what? We liked shit different, man. We wanted to travel a path less traveled. And just like me, we had sort of become disenchanted with the hobby, this grade chasing, this money shit. Because to do this style of stuff, this style of comic book collecting, you need stuff. You need social skills. You need research skills. You yeah. need language skills. You need all sorts of skills that you don't need in the traditional hobby. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, absolutely. And and I think um, where that comes, the adrenaline rush and satisfaction of when you hit something mm -hmm. or you follow a gap in your collection, you're like, this is fucking amazing, right? Oh, yeah. And amazing. that's kind of gotten lost with the predictability of the American market where you know you're going to likely have to fork out $7,800 for a greater three one eight one because that's what the market yep. is. You're not going to find one in the wild in Spain <laughs> yeah. via their gum tree or whatever. And there are no guides. Like you said, Neville, there are no guides. There are no, even American journalists don't know about this shit. Yeah. This stuff, you know, it's a global world. See, that's the other neat thing about this. This style of collecting is really just a metaphor for globalization and the shrinking of the world. And yeah. that also is what, you know, makes it so but, special. But but you got to understand that, you know, the work you guys are doing and the groundwork you've laid over the past seven years or whatever, normalizes the understanding of what foreign prints are and it's not just reprints and something there's some unique flavor to them that the american guys don't have because of the mm -hmm. fact that they had to improvise some art and they had to change wording and they change covers you know there's something that makes them unique it's not just a reprint but exactly people who are naive didn't get that they didn't understand that they just thought well you know what came five years later it can't be that valuable or can't be that appealing um, that where stigma. We had that, to right? change the stigma. So how did we change the stigma? We changed the stigma by saying these aren't reprints. You know why? Because the simple act of translation makes it not a reprint. You can't. Yeah. The translation is a whole art. There's yeah. direct translation. There's cultural translation. There's all kinds of different translation. The simple act of translating an American comic book into another language makes it a whole nother thing this is not wouldn't a wouldn't detractors then say though that all you're really doing is you it, it's literally pump and dump where you are increasing the value of the foreign books for the sake of gaining monetary value when you sell them some of them would say that but when you look at the history of the guys who've been doing this long enough yeah i don't i don't sell i know a lot of guys who uh, don't sell either i I, fact, I get what you're saying I know guys that were mad that we even published the magazine. They said, what the fuck are you doing? Letting people know <laughs> Keep how it awesome secret. this stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. how, and that's my, that's my, my hit back is I go, are, could you take the speculative kind of pump and dump into this world? Possibly. But is it a pump and dump when it is truly rare? You know, I, I listened to your guys, San Diego show. You talked about yeah. the amount of people that live in Australia might fit in new york city what do you yeah. think of fucking newton print run rugs any <laughs> newton book or yaffa book is going to have just you know by speculating on population numbers is going to be infinitely more rare than any american book yeah. almost any foreign edition is going to be rarer than the american book so is that pumping and dumping or is that yeah. just being fucking honest 
about no, no, rare. I get it. I get it. And, yeah. and you know what? All of a sudden, you increase the ratio of people chasing those books by 100 by creating awareness for it. And, and I think that demand itself is very sustainable. People yep. expect, especially the Newton stuff now, they're like, oh, it'll probably cool down again. But there's not enough going around for it to cool down, you know? It's 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 a it's a weird economy really that that's been created mm. for this. And how do you find how do you find going overseas to look for this stuff? Because I know when I'm doing this, when I'm looking when I'm looking for something obscure, and I've I've turned over every rock in in mm. you know in the in the states or in Australia or or the or the UK, and then you start putting weird letters behind your eBay searches to look in Serbia and stuff like that, or or maybe you're using Buy-E or for Yahoo yep. auctions, you feel like yep. you're in this 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 whole new world. This it's it's a different economy. There's this the, the, and there's disparities between a, these economies. What something's worth over there yes. versus what something's worth here, and what you're looking for is that gap in between where you can pick up something cheap over there and it's worth a lot more here. But it, you just get exactly. this feeling. I feel like I'm I'm on safari when I'm going there. It just feels different when I'm on these you know these these foreign these foreign pages. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, and you're exactly them. you're exactly right. In fact, we would use metaphors like safari. We'd call them the white buffalo, right? A Filipino three hundred is like a white buffalo, or we sometimes call them ghosts. Yeah. But you're exactly right. And and actually, you know, for this podcast, it's probably too complex to get into it. But there's actually three separate markets for this stuff. If you look at it on a global scale, there's three separate markets. There's the local indigenous. So that's a local, and you, you can apply this to any collectible, not just comics. You have the local indigenous market, person to person. So let's, let's use Australia for an example. Some guy in Sydney selling to some guy from Melbourne. Then you have the greater worldwide market. So that would be, um, let's say I have a, I'm an American and I have a Newton Ironman one and I'm selling it to my Swedish friend. That's the global market. And then you have the third market, which is the American market. The American market has more money, more flush funds for collectibles than any other market on earth. That's another market. So that's a total of three separate markets. This shit's complicated. Yeah, yeah. Look, the third market, though, is probably one directional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bringing stuff into America, right? Yeah, it's very insular. Yeah, and you could say yeah. that once it hits the American market, Don't unless you're willing to pay American prices, yeah, it's going to yeah. stay there. Yeah, yeah. So, and that, that's so why I told we, you. In a, in a previous conversation for the podcast, I caught up with you last week over a mm-hmm. call, I think. And I was telling you, I, I was most proud of actually buying the Horwood's Avengers one in Ohio and bring it back to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like bringing, bringing something home. Well, and, <laughs> and we have, a Aussie flag we've, talked about, we've talked about this too. Yeah. There, you could consider it almost comic colonialism. Yes, I was just thinking that. I was just thinking because the thing I was because, thinking about is like London Museum and Cairo. You know, that's yes, what I'm thinking. Is, exactly, is, because this is the thing. The American dollar, right, is this kind of almighty thing, right? Um, and when American money gets into foreign markets, it causes chaos. And there's going to be a lot of collectors within those markets that don't like it. You know, in Neville, we've talked about South Africa and how much, you know, a lot of these Republican press. I tested that after we spoke about it. We can talk about that in a bit. Hate the fact that Americans found the essay editions. They absolutely fucking hate it because it means that it's trouble for them. Same with, same with certain Mexicans, same with certain Brazilians. 
same and the French Canadians are the worst. They can't stand that Americans are going in and buying EHs, that anyone's going in and buying EHs other than French speakers in Canada, because mm-hmm. in their market, it's not this kind of speculative world. Prices are pretty low and you know everyone knows each other and there's and that's what you get. And so how is comic colonialism going to affect these markets and create what I think to be a kind of negative feedback loop where you're going to see a backlash in these countries go, no, we don't want to, our, our, our greatest treasures to leave our borders. So then it's going to make the ones that have already left even more valuable. And it's going to create this kind of cycle that eventually people are going to go because everyone's got a price, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I could tell you stories about guys that said, I'll never sell. And then a uh, 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 collector with big pockets go in and buy it for huge amounts of money that on their yeah. local back issue market, they would have never sold yeah. it for that. Can, can, I, can, I, can I comment on that? Like, yes, I've, please. I've seen in the Australian market over the past 10 years on Facebook, right? Locals didn't put that much value on Newtons because of the, the page quality and the, the colors and and they're like nah you know what it's not it's not the american one it's a reprint and some people would have tried to offload it for 50 bucks or 100 bucks and couldn't sell it held on to it now the market's changed there's a global awareness of it so the same people who were wanting to sell it for 50 bucks now won't sell it for 500 because they're like well i've got something that's different <laughs> i've got mm-hmm. something that's cool i'm gonna hold on to it like oh, i'll give you 500 no no i don't want 500 for it I'll, I'll although they wanted I'll... 50 for it 10 years ago you know yeah. awareness neville i heard stories from aussies that they would use newtons to line parrot cages i'm fucking serious but that's also so, why there's you know, so few left right yeah. I'm, happy, I'm happy with no posters and staples attached at least <laughs> i'm like oh fuck yeah. it at yeah. least I've got i mean i don't own a newton with a swap card i would love to i just yeah. don't yeah. I have some with posters, but you know, the swap cards are bitches. Those fucking, uh, those Newton, uh, uh, iron on transfers are fucking bitches. Yeah. The swap card album. Yeah. Yeah. The album. Yeah. 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 That's a it's like, bitch. it's like the Marvel, Marvel stamp album, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you get the yeah. Very thing, few people in all, Cause no one thought they were worth shit. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, and we, that brings us around. Back to my article. I coined the first term for this. I call it the foreign indigenous bias. And what it is, it's this kind of American-centric pop culture fucking, uh, uh, well, because it's American, it's got to be better. And our version isn't as good and all this crap. And it creates these, it creates these instances where the local indigenous product is poo-pooed which then creates a cycle of, you know, those are the books that get given to little brothers. Those are the books that get used for collages. Those are the books that they line parrot cages with. Those are the books not realizing that those are Australia's comic history or whichever country, and they deserve just as much respect. And if you're looking at it from a rarity perspective, maybe even more respect. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. We, um, I was watching a show the other day and it's the exact same thing here as it is with, there's a chap who discovered, discovered in parentheses, um, Khmer art in, um, around Cambodia. Um, and he brought it to the world, right? But in doing so, he, he always claimed that he was, he was preserving, um, mm-hmm. their, their cultural history and the legacy of this art. But what he did 
uh, whether he meant to or not, as he put value on it. Now there's mm. issues. There's issues with them raiding temples all over Cambodia to mm. steal this this artwork because it, there's a there's a, a value to it now. Yeah, and and that, my friend, is you with well, confidence, isn't it? It's but, you're getting but value, this, but you're I'm also gonna, bringing I'm going to play world. devil's advocate and say mm. that at the time when I started, no one gave a shit about these books, so I saw myself as preserving them. Right? Yes, exactly and right. Now that's changing. Um, and you know, we, I feel like as an American, we have to respect and, you know, because the, the opposite is true. I remember on the CGC boards, high grade books getting sent abroad overseas. And a lot of Americans saying, why are you sending that high grade book book overseas? It's going to get damaged. They're not going to love it as much, or even as petty arguments, as much as you know, they don't have air conditioning as much in those countries and the page quality is going to go bad. So, like in Australia. Uh, yeah, yeah. So like, well, Australia is pretty dry heat, right? Except on yeah. the coast. It's humid oh, you you think that, but I've got like 20 dehumidifiers in my comic room where I'm sitting. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we're yeah. away from Well, along the coast, I guess it's pretty humid. But, yeah. but anyway, I would see that. And there would even be American dealers and American sellers that would say no overseas buyers. So the opposite is true too. Yep. Um, so so there is a nationalistic, jingoistic kind of reality to pop culture that we, you know, pop culture, some would say that American pop culture has kind of gone around the world and sort of dominated. Um, that's changing. I, I think to, that's changing yeah. somewhat. I mean, you can look at BTS and Korean pop music. Yep. And I think that's as we globalize, that's changing more. Yep. But- for the longest time. And, and I think that that's also why so many American collectors kind of, you know, they had this kind of nationalistic streak to them um, when they were considering foreign and international editions. Whereas what I don't quite get is that in a lot of the other hobbies, toys, Star Wars toys, books, you know, there was a lot of respect given to the international. I mean, look at the, the Turkish bootlegs in the Star Wars market, the Uzes. Yep. You know, those are almost, if you have, you almost can't buy them. You have to yep. be a rich person to buy them. Those yep. are Turkish bootlegs. Yeah. You know, those are infinitely more valuable than any American Star Wars figure in many ways. Not always, but in many ways. Yeah. Um, so, you know, why did comic books have this, you know, keep this kind of reprint stigma, this nationalistic kind of stigma? And that's where me and the early FCC guys were going, hey, guys, we're looking at this all wrong, way wrong. There is yeah. a whole global world of comic book collecting out there. Yeah. And it's really, when you, when you look at that, that when we, we're reflecting on pop culture and, and, and mm-hmm. what it's like in, in different countries. It's almost a reflection of maybe economic prosperity. Like you look at like the, the driving economic force for most of last century was was the states, you know, and as, and that's where it bloomed. That's like Disney and uh, yeah. animation and and that type of pop culture, you know, of, yep. of, of of cartoons and comic books. When you're buying these these books, you're, you're sort of setting the economy, aren't you? You know, um, you can, in, and that makes you. Yeah, I can see how from. Uh, from an indigenous point of view, people people getting pissed with you because all of a sudden your books are nervous, now on the man. international. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. on the international stage. They're um they're subject to um, international market pressures and stuff. But however, the flip side of that, I think for Australia, it's like 
if we went to an estate sale or you know we call them garage sales over here mm -hmm. uh the likelihood um of us finding uh a hulk 181 that's an original american i, I know have. you've done it before i know <laughs> what uh, that's a, yeah 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 Got a garage sale neville you Five lucky bucks. bastard yeah Five bucks. yep but that you, you would you would assume that most likely you're going to be finding Australian reprints in in you know over and it's here. mostly the, phantoms right like, yeah yeah that's the most commonly distributed comic since like 1945 in Australia mm -hmm. and it's still still being printed and still in like uh, newspapers newspaper stands and 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 shops you can still buy the newest issues so they are flooded everywhere yep. and people used to buy because of the ease of access whether you're in the outback or in the city you're going to find copies. So that's yeah. what you expect to find when you go to garage sales. Yep. But yeah. the, the, the stuff like that's worth heaps of ca um, cash, you know, that the, the big titles, you're not going to find them here. Whereas you can find them there. But as as the um, the Australian reprints start becoming worth more and more money, there's a chance now that, that you'll find yes. that gold here and then that's worth money. You can dig for gold. Well, and think of it, think of it like this, okay? Because I, I, I get the idea that once you know outside money comes in and influences the back market it uh it causes chaos but that's actually secondary or tertiary to what happens initially do you guys want to know what really happens initially I've heard. what happens initially is that an outsider comes into the market and expresses interest in a market at least when we were doing it back in 2013 so let me explain a little bit how we would do that. We're not going to find um, a Greek book on eBay back then. There were very few, very few. There were some, but there was very few. So what we would do was we would pull up the good old Google Translate, and we would go to these countries, and we would search up comic book forums or comic book collecting or whatever in the language, in the indigenous language. We would find a comic book forum of collectors, and then we would join it. And then you're the odd man out. You're the American in a Greek forum saying, hey, I dig your books. And yeah. for the longest time, because everyone's put all this value on American pop culture, when an American goes in there and expresses interest in these books, well, what happens? What happens? You know, what happens is these people go, holy shit, there's an American interested in our shit. So what do they do? <laughs> they help you yep they help you a lot and they and as we are all creatures of ego they're very very excited that an outsider gives a shit about their local indigenous output because even for a lot of them no one gave a shit yep you understand so it's like this thing where you when you you could go in and i'll, I'll use the greek market again as an example you know the cabanas hellas were bronze age greeks Greek marbles, and even in their back issue market, which was very premature. So, you know, the markets have to grow. They have money has to exchange hands. Books have to, and, and the Greek back issue market back uh, when we started doing this was very almost like homegrown. They had comic clubs, they had meetups, they had one comic con a year, maybe they had, you know, the exchange of them was happening very low key for very low amounts of money. Yeah, I even yeah. had a Greek, a Greek collector tell me, I told him, I said, Iron Man 55, first appearance of Thanos. I said, you know what? I'll buy this book all day. 
just find it for me. Find the yeah. Cabanas Hellas book for me. Yeah. And and he was like, okay, mate, but you know, they're hard to find. They're rare. And I go, I don't care. I'll, I'll give you 200 bucks, 150 bucks, whatever. And he's like, oh, no, no, I could do that. Why? Well, because they're not worth that. But I just told you, to me, they're worth 150 bucks. You just told me they're rare. They don't come up <laughs> all the time. Right? And you'd say, well, they are rare. I might only run into two or three a year. But they're not worth if you pay a hundred dollars, you're getting ripped off. Wait, 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 wait. So, so that doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah, and, oh. and, and I think what you need to take in consideration is many of those countries' cost of living and 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 mm-hmm. um, comic value relative to income in general. Um, it might sound very inflated because you are coming in with US dollars. For you, it's That's reasonable. True. For them, it's a month's income type of thing right but it's I've also seen... related to their to their back issue market being premature meaning that yeah it's yeah not, absolutely it's not absolutely. grown i've, I've no seen one yeah i've seen the south no. african market especially wake up because i go into south african pages and the same book will be in rands for much mm-hmm. less than they advertise on the foreign pages in dollars uh, yeah so they, they they mark it up by 500 percent to a dollar value yeah because they know that you know their dollar value to you is the same as that little bit of rands on the, on the side. Yeah. yeah, and 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 to answer, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, BG. What's your name? Bo? Ben. 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 I call yeah, him BG. Ben. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so to answer your question, Ben, the way we would. So I don't travel. I've never traveled anywhere. It sucks. I've had friends all over the world, but I've never traveled. What we do is a kind of, and I've explained it like this before, which is kind of fun. It's like a mafia. We create networks. So to do this style, especially back in the old days, you had to create networks. You had to create contacts. You had to create sources. You have to be skilled socially. You got to know how to make friends. You got to know how to introduce yourself. You know, if you're shy, you ain't going to be able to do this shit. We would, you know, if you're embarrassed, you're not going to be able to do this shit. I, we would go into foreign comic book forums and we would just start chatting people up, asking for information, asking, you know, there's a whole skill to learning how to connect with someone, right? Wow. You know, you know, I'm lucky because I'm a, I'm a fan of history. So I love history. I love culture. I love, I love all that stuff. I love to be educated on it. So I want to know things. I want to know about your families. I want to know about what kind of beer you drink. I want to know I want to connect with you on a human level Mm. because I find value in that first. And then the secondary thing is that you're going to be able to help me find comic books and, you know, vice versa. I often help a lot of my foreign sources and contacts and friends find American stuff and then ship it to them. So it's like a mafia. It's like, a you know, in the early days, we used to joke that all us, you know, remember I said there was like 30 or 50 hardcore guys into this. And we used to joke around and say, I bet you we're on every FBI list, every CIA <laughs> list, because you know that the American There's government a heavy monitors, internal networking yeah. <laughs> you know what? that they monitor customs because you have 300 code for something else. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, code. Well, and they, and they're probably 129 like, lined up. <laughs> they're probably like, you know, the analysts are probably like in the CIA, they're like, who the fuck is this Matt Roybal guy? He's gotten. <laughs> He's gotten 15 packages, one from Australia, one from South America, <laughs> one from South Africa. He's gotten a couple stuff from Europe. Who the fuck is this guy? You know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and that's sort of what it's like. It's sort of like a mafia at yeah. first. You know, now 
with the awareness there's kind of a built-in uh global yeah, market yeah now, I, I was just gonna days. ask that question like I've, I've where actually, are we now where uh, are we now now it's say, changed like yeah. i've been on your group for probably two months now right i've got a little rising mm-hmm. star next to my name because i can fucking you're a rising it. star neville thank you my uh, friend because i keep spamming it that's all right um but but i still see people joining in the tens or hundreds on, on a weekly basis right the group's yeah. growing exponentially as people understand what it's for and what value it brings um and with that comes probably more competition for buying and selling, but yes, at the same time, definitely. an organic incremental value because the demand goes up, right? There's a lot of Jehovah witnesses in the group. So I post something and I'll get four people asking, do you want to buy it via DM? <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's fine. That com- comes with the territory. I definitely yes. think though, the benefit of having that community that you guys have created with that and, and, you know, welcoming noobs like me with open arms where I'm learning every time I go onto the page and, I've got obviously my notifications on stuff. Um, how do you find that is going to change your your little your original mafia group and your responsibility towards helping people? Because it's not sustainable when all of a sudden you know, you've got a thousand people asking for the same books, right? It's it, it does. It's going to change it, and it's going to change it in ways that all hobbies change. Um, I have a buddy, uh, Roger Prowse. He's a, a big foreign collector, but he he runs a comic book. Uh, a couple comic book stores here in America. And he said he likened the early kind of foreign collecting community to the early, uh, what are those, the, the pops, the pops. Mm. Uh, pop vinyl. Pop yeah, 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 the yeah. vinyl pop. We, we don't say their names around here. Oh, that, we're changing that. I've got we? three. I've got, I've got two or three. You know, I, we have to change. We have I to think change it's a little bit cheesy, but the, you know, I have a few. I have a junk rat one. I mean, I think they're fun, but in the early days, you know, it was kind of like that. It was kind of a kind of small knit community. Everyone knew each other and then it, it grew exponentially and that kind of close knit kind of thing kind of fell out of the wayside. So is that going to happen, Neville? You're you're absolutely correct. And at a certain point, we're going to lose control over it. And already, I think I've talked to you a little bit about that, uh, the troubles in moderating our group. Yeah. We, we moderate our group in a certain way that a lot, you know, some people don't agree with and stuff, but it's the only way but that I you've got to set around. boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah for you, sure. We have to set certain boundaries, but there's going to be other groups that open up and there's now, there's now another website that's dedicated to foreign comics and it's going to grow exponentially. And, and honestly, that's great. I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it will grow. It, it's going to get outside of our hands. It, if I cared about that, I would have never started the magazine. Yeah. yeah. Um, my 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 main goal is to is to bring awareness to the comic book collecting community. There's a couple goals actually, but I'll give you the main one: that there's a whole global world of comic books out there, and it's interesting and it's fascinating, and it's it's this world. Whereas as an American dealing with the pop culture originals, we can look at our pop. We can look at our we can look at the culture of Spider-Man reflected in these countries and societies and cultures. You know, it like passes through a prism and then it can be reflected right back at us in the different changes and the different stuff. And my whole point of this thing is to get particularly American collectors, but all collectors aware that we are a freaking globalized world and we're all kind of into the same things. We all wanna be happy. We all want to support our families. We all have this passion, right, for this pop culture. And 
I mean, maybe I'm a crazy, stupid liberal, but I kind of feel like, you know, nationalism and, and we need to be kind of, as a species, we need to understand that we're part of a global community yeah. and, and we have responsibility. Yeah, you can't be inverse forever, right? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, and this whole idea, you know, uh, you know, again, as an American, I, I, I rub up against the whole American exceptionalism all the time. I rub up against, you know, isolationism all the time. Remember during World War II, before America got involved in World War II, there were a lot of American isolationists that were like, no, we don't want to get involved in the war in Europe. And they were going to they were going to let Hitler just run rampant. Yeah, the, yeah. the point being that we're all part of this small planet and technology is shrinking us further. Um, you know, back in the 70s, that Danish vampire that you just showed might yeah. as well have been on fucking Mars. Yeah. yeah. It was never yeah. going to make its way back here. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So, if, yeah, for, for people listening, I was showing uh, number one and 10 of Vampire, which is Ghost Rider 1 and Showcase 5. Amazing five, covers. Five. And they're double books, right? So, on the other side, they're double. Yeah. So, so it's flip books on the other side. They've got Werewolf by Night. It's I just, a cool format. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I just, I'm just in love with these covers. So, I had to bring them along to show. Yeah. And, and, and so, like, you know, that that's one of the things is my, my whole thing is also it's not just the comic books it's also the people that i've met uh you know uh, uh, i have a, a couple aussie friends paul nichols uh there's another uh, yeah. guy who's forgetting yeah, my i'm forgetting all, his name they're all douchebags like us but we know them. yeah yeah well you australian douchebags <laughs> but i love you guys i love your sense of humor i, lo I love your accents yeah. I, I love all that but you know it's this type of collecting has made me a global citizen Yep. When a typhoon goes through the Philippines, I care about my friends there. I worry about them. When All the comic collections. Those, <laughs> comic collections. Those fires you guys had in Australia. Yeah, oh, man. Cute little do, koalas were falling out of the trees, burning up. Do you know, do you know Kevin, Eastman, Kevin Eastman held auctions for uh, a lot of the wildlife fund charities in australia awesome because yeah. he loves i give australia, a shit right? about that so he you was he was all fire. over that man i, I you know, love the fact that we're so aware of each other every time because exactly. i've been i've been to california eight times now and you know every time they've got their fires like i i recognize the places where it happens and i yeah. you know why the pain of the people they have eucalypts over there man they've planted eucalypts over there the yeah, most combustible tree oh, the, eu the eucalyptics yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's that and thing, the Greek, the Greek riots, there was austerity riots in Greece yep. where yep. the EU was forcing them to limit the amount that was going to go to their pensioners. Mm -hmm. There were literally riots where pensioners would tie themselves to trees and blow their, their brains out. Yep. Um, oh, the, the, the floods in Germany, the floods in Serbia, um, mm -hmm. I mean, you name it, when there's shit that's happening around the world, I've got probably have friends in those countries. The crime in Mexico, the crime in Brazil. I've got a lot of Brazilian friends that I worry yeah. about sometimes. Yeah. It this collecting is it's, it's it goes beyond the comic books. Goes yeah. beyond the comic books. Yeah. We, the, um, the, the comics uh that's the gateway, right? Gateway to they're community. the gateway. And they and, have made me a global citizen. Yeah. And and going back to the 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 Facebook group you guys run, you feel that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm in there, I've never been told, you know. Yeah, check your line or 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 <laughs> pull pull your neck in or anything like that it is really nah, a good group nah. where people are engaging and contributing and care about each other and celebrate success like 
I post a little book and there's five comments because people like it. People are like, oh yeah, that's yeah. great. And and I think having that culture, and it's very similar to what we've done with Growlands, is um, having that culture of people caring for each other exactly. supersedes the comic collecting. So you use the comic collection as a baseline of, hey, we have something in common, but beyond that, you'll become really good friends with them. And that's that's a really good message. Exactly. And really, that's kind of what, what I found in chatting with you over the past few weeks. And that's why I thought it'd be amazing to have you on the podcast. Yeah, and the, and, you know, the, I was just going to say that the, the thing about it is, is it's that commonality. You know, you talk about being a global citizen. Um, I think that you'll find, you know, the commonality in, 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 in despite all the differences, um, cultural language differences, et cetera, et cetera, that you have. The one thing, and that's what that's what I think that 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 humans need to learn to do, yeah. is to is to rejoice in our similarities and to embrace our similarities, not not reflect on our differences, you know? And I think that that it's these conduits like a passion for for comic books and and that which which really glues people together. It's only one thing. I'm sure everyone can find that one thing that will help them relate to their fellow. I I, I think there's an instinct, instinct, Jesus, now we're a fucking philosophy podcast, but there's an instinctive thing about, I think a lot of people think if I empower Matt, it'll depower me because a lot of those strength and awareness and, and, and fucking yep. recognition will go to him because I empower him. And so, so yep. I won't be as important. And I think that's instinctive with fucking the entire world, man. People don't yeah. want that. They find yep. ownership in the, the, the things that they can control. And because of that, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, I must be important. Then. It's like, Fuck and that, we yeah. can celebrate the differences. Yep. That's yep. the beauty yep. of the books yep. themselves. As yep. you've learned Neville with those <clears throat> With those Danish ghost writers, they're so different and so freaky weird. You know, you get into fucking, uh, you know, you get into the Middle East and you get into Arabic. I've seen books those. And man. Look at that books. Neil Adams covers with Arabic on the cover. It's amazing. Yeah, you 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 get into spines on the right where they're flipping the artwork. Yeah. And you get into you get into literally the Frazetta of oh Brazil. Oh my god! Oh my yeah. god! That's amazing. So that's Terra Negro number. This is Otero Negro. So like Brazil has an artist named Jaime Cortez. Yeah. He, he was amazing. He, they call him the Frazetta of Brazil for a reason. He did sci-fi. He did horror. He did all this stuff. And, and he was an amazing artist. And that's, that's um, not even a republication, is it? That's no, no, this original is an original Brazilian. book. That's this original, is an original Brazilian book. That is But incredible. that's a Frankenstein. So, yeah. so, can you send What's me a your, photo of that as part of the podcast? Yeah, I'll send you. Promo. I'll send you a scan of it. Um, yeah. So that's amazing, you know, man. We can get into some shit where we can even get past. You know, the set building where you're dealing with additions from all over the world, and then you can get into the indigenous books, mm. and you can get into all sorts of stuff. Um, it sucks uh, that there's not video for this because I brought this specifically to show you guys. Ben Neville, I'm going to show you the jewel of my entire foreign collection. You ready to see this? Do it. So this is something called Marvel Speaks Your Language. It's the only one I've ever seen. And it came out of Italy. And what it is, is it's a folder that Marvel created in the late 70s to try to sell their editions around the world. And it says Marvel Speaks Your Language in English. It's got Italian, German, and Spanish for Spain. So it was meant for Europe. And inside, it's got a letter from Stan Lee. Wow. And he talks about why you should 
licensed Marvel comics. It has it in wow. English. So it's actually literally the sales pitch to, yeah. to yes. reprint the book. So right? this is not something that was collected. Okay. Yep. This went to foreign publishers and it uh, it was probably all, you know, they were probably thrown away when the foreign publishers went defunct. I, there may, maybe there's some around, but I've never seen another copy. But basically it's got English, it's got French, it's got German and Spanish, but this is where we get crazy cool. Wow, that's amazing. And it's that's a all... gatefold. Wow. It is that's... stunning. And it has this whole thing about why you should collect Marvel books. It's got this little girl on the floor here. Everything is in the multiple languages. Oh, incredible. That's sweet, man. And what's crazy about that looks brand new though, man. Jesus. Is it? I've never seen another. It is the only one I've ever seen. Challenge accepted. Let's see. Marvel speaks your language. Marvel speaks your language. We think that there was probably an Asian one. Marvel brought your doll. We've heard heard (laughs) some rumors that there was an Asian one. So there might be one that's in English, Korean, Japanese. And Filipino Tagalog. Yeah. We think that there could have very easily been a Scandinavian one. There's an American Australian one that's just printed upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. Or there could have very easily been a Scandinavian one that yeah. was printed in English, Norwegian, Swedish, uh, Dan- Danish. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. this is the only one that we found out of Europe. And uh, it is. I couldn't even put a price on it. You know, I've never seen another for sale. I've never even seen proof of one on the internet. It's wow. the, incredible. It's that's incredible. Marvel man. speaks your language, and it and is it, incredible. That, that looks that's in great nick too. Considering it's like brand new, right? it's yeah. fifty yeah. years old. Wow. So Matt, the, the um the Brazilian book you you had it's it's an original. It's not a reprint. It's a Brazilian yeah. publication. Yes. Right? Otero so, Negro. So, yeah. So, so the the gateway drug for you was finding um, Brazilian reprints down there, and that led you to that. So, yes, it, you know, it, it's it's like that. You get brought there because you're looking for El Holco one eight one, and you end up there, which is great. I think that's beautiful as well. You know, yes, that, and and you know, it, it's, it's because like you celebrate those... the you end up celebrating the. Oh my god! Look, look at, at that. that! Yeah, that's awesome. Was it Ovampiro? Ovampiro. 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 It's in Portuguese. How is it so massive in Brazil? Jesus, this is incredible. Like, oh, there's some, there's some amazing shit in Brazil. Can can, can you explain to Ben what happened to Spider-Man in the early '70s in Brazil, where they decided, fuck it, fuck Marvel, fuck the way they're writing it. We're gonna, we're gonna take the story in a different direction. Oh, you mean Mexico? Ah, Mexico. Ah, Mexico. The non-canon. This is Conan. Long before the Marvel 1970. This is La Reina de la Costa Negra. A lot of people don't understand that Conan first appeared in comics in Mexico in the 50s in a title called Cuentos de de Abuelita, which basically uh, translates to Stories of My Grandfather. So everybody who's sitting on their Savage Tales number one is like, We've got first Conan in comics. They don't. No, you don't. don't. Uh Uh-uh, you're you're wrong. The first first Conan 
was in Mexico. This is this is the second series in Mexico yeah. that was published by Ediciones Homa. But look at look at Conan. He's blonde. Yes, and also like wearing a Viking. That's very, very Thor-looking Conan there. Yeah, and he's yeah. got and there's Bellet, the queen of the black coat. Well, that predates Thor as well, right? Oh yeah, crafty. this predates this pre this is this was printed in, <gasps> in the. Could 60s. we say that Thor came from Conan? <laughs> say that he's. <laughs> well, Thor was you, are, you heard it here first. But, yeah, but you know, there's so. So one of the things we found out was so much information out there that nobody knows. Yeah. Even American comic experts don't know. Now, uh, in the in the late seventies, they knew that some of Howard's Conan stories were translated into Mexico, but no one gave a shit. Yeah. No one, no no journalist touched base on it again. No one went on to it again. Uh, we in our issue two of FCC magazine. We have one of the top Conan collectors in the world talk, and he wrote an article about uh, Conan in comics and how tough these early Conans that predate the Marvel 1970 uh, are to find. And you know what? People people there might be sitting on it oblivious, oblivious to it. Oblivious. Yeah. You know, there's um, so there's a whole world outside out there that there's just hasn't been a whole lot of attention paid to. And yep. that's what us at FCC, that is kind of, or I'll even say me, my mission uh, has always been to kind of share this because to be honest, guys, I was almost out of the hobby. I was done, you know, it was getting too expensive. I was going into the silver age. Uh, you know, I was, I picked up a lot of the 19, 1968 books, Marvel books. And I was trying to get into the early six years Marvels and they were way too expensive. And then I found this random Greek Spider-Man 252 first black costume and it opened up my eyes and it opened up my world. And I said, wait a second, everyone here in America is so busy concentrating on flipping and chasing this number on top of a slab. I want to get to the real business of Lewis and Clark. I want to get to the real fucking business of I hesitate to say it, you know, that those colonials, those colonials that were out researching, Mm -hmm. you know, going out into the unknown, um, looking for this, the value and the fruit and this, this whole globalized world of the comic book collecting hobby that no one gave a shit about, that no one was writing about, that needed a spotlight put on it. That was my mission. Uh, What do you think the, the announcement of CGC about foreign books uh, and their focus on it moving forward. Do you think that'll that's a game changer in terms of triggering further interest? I think it's a game interest? changer in, in certain issues. Because it'll I, it'll legitimize a lot of what you're saying, right? It'll yes, it will. Now that now that you've got institutions backing up your opinion in the fact that you know this these are credible books, they stand on their own two legs, they're not reprints. Um, that's going to change it, right? Anyone listening take- to this podcast should go out and what 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 books are we buying now, Neville? What's as soon as that was it like an edict yeah. that comes out? Someone and rolls you know it what, out and says, yeah, he, he, CGC now recognizes uh, foreign reprints as first first edition. Yeah. So, yeah. so we actually we actually you're spoke forgetting something. We spoke about you're this. For, you're forgetting something though. Yeah, yeah. CBCS did the foreign world first. Oh really? I didn't know that. My co-editor. Yeah. His name was Tim Bildhauser, right? 
You want to hear a story how we oh, South Africa's own. I like how you opened it right on South Africa just for me. The South African <laughs> That's Mimosa wrote That's... this article. Is that who I was talking to him this that. morning? That's awesome, man. Look at that. Um, so okay, so Tim Bildhauser was co-editor with me. Was that George van der Riet? Yeah, that's George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking he to him this morning because he's in the UK now. Yeah, sorry. Keep yeah, going. he's in the UK. Yeah, George, love the guy. Great guy. Yeah. The, he's got a poll for me at the moment. <laughs> the penalty, you know, basically the expert on South African books. It's the, Ben, for context, it's like the Oz reprint site for South African comics that he runs. Yep. Super yep. comics. He's a wonderful human being. Um, yep. But Tim Bildhauser, so we created, let's see if I can find it here. I don't have it. So when we started the magazine, so everyone knows who Steve Borok is, mm-hmm. right? That's CCS. <laughs> I gave him a little bit of shit for waiting 12 months for slabs, but that's okay. <laughs> so everyone knows Steve Borok. He was the guy that basically helped start CGC. We moved yeah, he's in my comic shop now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's at my comic shop now. Tim Bildhauser and I thought that Steve Bildhauser would find what we were doing interesting, you know, all of us guys that were doing it. Um, and I, I, I feel bad because I can't name drop everyone that was involved. There was a lot of guys involved uh, in that early st- uh, foreign comic collector magazine. Um, but we created a packet that uh, we were going to give out to dealers. And we sent, we mailed Steve Borok this packet talking about foreign comic collector magazine and these books. And Steve Borok was so interested that he invited Tim down to Florida to talk about it. Tim Bildhauser went to Florida. He talked about these books. He talked about the mistakes in calling them reprints. He talked about how they were editions more like the book hobby than the comic book hobby, calling them reprints. Um, And Steve Borok was fascinated by it. And Steve Borok realized... So Tim Bildhauser is... He's a, he's a pro. He's good at comics even before foreigns. But Steve realized that Tim knew his shit and he invited him back for an interview to work with CBCS. And so Tim being good at comics anyway was a good grader and good at all that. And Tim, unlike me, didn't have a family at the time. Well, he had a girlfriend who moved down there with him. Uh, but he didn't have, he just, he didn't have the, he could do that. Right. And so he moved down there and he became CBCS's foreign expert and CBCS started slabbing foreigns without the reprint stigma. And Tim would research all the interiors. So for instance, the Greek crow one isn't just the Greek crow one. It's also the caliber presents one. So uh-huh. not only is so, it the so Greek Crow one, based on both worlds, it's the first appearance of the Crow. Yeah, the Italian Lomo Ragno ninety one. It is the Italian three hundred. The cover is the Italian three hundred, right? But it actually has the two ninety nine in it. So this whole argument within America of well, what's 
Venom's first appearance. Is it 299 or 300? You know, it's that whole yeah. argument that you get. Why not both? <laughs> In one book. Why not fucking both? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not just a cameo. It's the cameo and the first appearance. So Tim was the guy that first started going in and, you know, notating the guts, notating the cover. He did it professionally. So they're literally paging through it, right? Yeah. So when people say CGC is the first professional company that actually gave credit to foreigns that read, you know, that registered them, they would be wrong. CBCS was the first where CGC changed things up was they actually realized that the foreign market and that foreign books in general were going to become a big deal. And I think that Matt Nelson realized we did an interview with Matt Nelson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you watched that. Did you watch that on The yeah. Amazing, Brian? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, was, you did the countdown to it the previous day too. Yeah, so yeah. He, he was aware enough, being a pro in the hobby, that there was a good chance that these foreign editions were the next big thing. And so he realized that CGC had to have uh, a standard. Yeah. And so now they're standard. And yeah. we'll let's get I, we can get into how I feel about that in a second. So CBCS was the first grading company to really take foreign seriously. CGC <laughs> now has taken them seriously. They have a certain way that they're doing the notes. They are going off the covers. And they are using the covers to inform how they are going to do the notes and how they're going to do the title. Yeah. So the, the problem with that, now I'll be perfectly open and honest here. I don't necessarily agree with that. I prefer the CBCS way. So the differences. CBCS, let's use the Italian 300 again as an example. CBCS is going to call it the Lomo Ragno 91 Italian edition. First appearance of Venom. Uh, you know, whatever the notes go with that. And then on the back, they're going to include the notes for 299, 300, and 301. Or no, no, not three, 301. I think yeah. it goes to, I think three, I think the Italian 300 has the 298, the 299, and the, and the, the one book. Yeah. But anyway. So CBCS is going to include the notes for all of them, right? CGC is going to take the Lomo Ragno 91 and they're going to notate it as Italian, or they're going to call it Amazing Spider-Man 300 Italian edition. Yeah, yeah. Lomo Ragno 91. So the hierarchy is going to have the American so and the yeah. So what's interesting about it is they're, they're like going on an American kind of nationalistic way of doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas CBCS was doing it as no, this isn't this isn't the American 300. This is the Lomo Ragno 91, first appearance of, of Venom, Italian edition, right? So the the so the CBCS I think that's more respectful, definitely more the, respectful. The CBCS way is more accurate, but yeah. see this is CGC's argument. CGC's argument is they're trying to make it easier for the American collector to find it on the census to understand what it is. Yeah. Mm. Right. So it's a more an American centric viewing of it. 
then it's going to be easier because what's going to happen on the CGC census is the collector is going to go in and they're going to look up Amazing Spider-Man 300. And then in their list of things there, it's going to have the Lomo Ragno 91 Italian edition. Yeah, it'll along be at the with bottom, all right? the others. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Along with all the other 300s that use that cover. Yeah. But do you think problem, when you search for it in CGC census, do you search for Lomo Ragno? Or do you search for I think you Spider-Man can search for it both ways. Down. Okay. I think you can search for it both ways, but what's always find that weird. Yeah. CGC's just kind of making it more accessible to the American collector that doesn't know yeah. shit from Shiola. They're just looking at their primary market saying, how can we educate at the same time as, because they can yes. always just change the label in five years, right? Yeah, so so I don't necessarily think it's wrong. Yeah. I don't agree with it, but I don't think it's wrong, right? There are very, there are a lot of people, uh, my, my good friend, Tim Bildhauser, who he doesn't work at CBCS anymore, but he did. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, agree with it uh, a lot of people don't agree with it a lot of the old school guys don't agree with it a lot of the new school guys that have gotten into the collecting foreign hobby do agree with it because they understand that cgc is coming at it from an american-centric point of view and honestly foreigns are going to get that market awareness that they need to make the big yeah. money yeah and, and that's i think kind of got to be i think they the way they went about with their announcements and you know, pushing it out to all their members and publishing it on their sites and all that type of stuff, that made it a big thing. It is. Whereas, whereas despite the fact that CBCS might have had it, I wasn't aware of it because they never actually shine a light on it. You know what I they mean? They didn't. And that but, was, and that was, so I think that's a probably a good thing mistake. in a sense. Now, thinking about the fact that you talked about back in 2014 and 13, which is eight years ago. Um, yeah. and how much it's grown today. Do you think 10 years from now, you're going to look back at 2022 and say, it's pretty much exploded then because of the common knowledge and understanding of what CGC and a lot of the legitimacy that comes with it brings to collecting foreign books? I think so. I think that there's going to be an explosion. I Honestly, Neville, if you want my honest opinion, um, you know how when slabbing, because so we knew that grading was in the sports card hobby first mm. and in the coin hobby. Yep. And then they dipped their toes into the comic hobby. And when that happened in 2000, I think it was 2000 when CGC came on board, it changed the game, right? Super high grade became a big deal. And, you know, grading itself changed the game. The hobby evolved. I think foreign editions are the next big thing. I think that um, I, 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 I think, feel I, I feel it in my gut. Eh? I think that there we're already seeing certain foreign editions, grade for grade, to the American example, selling for more money mm. than the American grade for grade. The Filipino Spider Man, Horowitz Daredevil One. The Horowitz Daredevil One is a prime example yeah. of a book that I think did it better than the American book. Highlights a foreign artist and just because of the pure rarity of the goddamn thing. Yeah. There's probably how many Hor Horowitz Daredevil I know, ones I, I are know there three people to, yeah. to Marvel Daredevil one. There's probably 300, 400, 500 mm. Marvel Daredevil ones to every Horowitz Daredevil one that's out, that's in existence. What's your confidence here? Is it like, like if you, you've got $10,000, right, you've got a choice. You can stick it into crypto, right, or you can buy foreign keys. Foreign keys. 
Weed. Yep. <laughs> well, weed. Fart weed case. Immediately. Um, you know, well, I've got my weed habit that's got to be satisfied. But if I had to, you know, no, but 10 grand, you know, though. I, I, I'm lucky. I'm in a state where we can grow our own. I could just yeah, go yeah. around. Yep. But if I had $10,000, I would immediately put it into Golden Age Brazilian Keys. Man, it's al- it's massive. Along, eh? along with uh, Bronze Age Super Keys from anywhere I could find them, whether yeah. they be Australian Newtons. I was going to say, is there a, is is there a hierarchy to to the the country of of Appeal. like is yeah Appeal. is Not a Spanish version worth more than a French version? Not necessarily. Or- Some are more rare than others, but it depends. Yeah, my you know, perspective. It really depends and... on the publisher. It yeah. really depends on the country. You know, I'll give you an example. The Spanish Bertice marbles that were redrawn by Lopez Espy and some others, they're amazing. They're mm. absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, and they were they were printed in the 70s. Yeah. Um, the Werewolf by Night, the first Werewolf by uh, or the first Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night, the Lopez Espy redrawn cover in Spain is nicer than the american i think and different colors different different colors and just and rare yeah um yeah Yeah, i'm a a wolverine guy so i'm always looking at the lamasas and oh the uh, lamasas um and again there's two it was reprinted twice right or it was reprinted the second time and there's a right cover and a red cover and there's uh great the 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 one that's where wolf, wolverines in white yeah yeah that's so fucking yeah. cool yeah jeff um, barris is always helping me trying to find it <laughs> the the brazil the price. uk one the uk the marvel uk one that, that's got the original, the original art yep yep i think we had the that original that art trip art i think we had we that talked one about one that one of our previous episodes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. With oh, the maybe the video you watched, maybe the, the San Diego Comic Con video you watched. Yeah. We might have yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you did. So, you know, so that's the other interesting thing about Florence. The artists at Marvel would create their creations, and then the licensing department would get the stats and send them out before the editors went and fucked it up. You know, yeah. one of the biggest famous ones is the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the king-sized Hulk annual, the Starenko. Yeah, yeah. Well, that his face was altered by uh, Louise Simonson, redrew Hulk's face. The original one made it to the Scandinavian countries. And it's much more like veiny. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so you find even in a lot of these foreign editions, the original uh, kind of yeah. art that these artists had, the vision that these artists had for these books before the editors went and fucked it up yeah once again i love i love i love how the 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 collecting community just with com- comics uh and has as is a reflection of the world isn't it there's this there's, there's so many totally there's, there's so many metaphors or, or analogies just um, oh man it, you can meta the shit out of this yeah yeah, yeah. that's i mean it, the indonesian bootleg market is a fucking black hole that you can go down in deep think about this okay indonesia you had these big artists there's a guy named john mediraga in this in the 70s he was a big fan of american comic book art now indonesia already had a kind of comic book culture their own style 
just like a lot of countries did, like the Filipino Tagalog comics with a K or the Indonesian book. Um, but John Mitaraga was a big fan of American Marvel art. So he took it upon himself to start bringing that art over, redrawing it in the Indonesian style. And a bunch of Indonesian artists did this. And Indonesia was the Wild West. It's a bootleg crazy thing. There's like, you would not believe the crazy shit that the Indonesians did. Just Indonesia alone, you could spend your whole life just researching and collecting. Crazy, eh? I mean, it's it, it, it it's it's unbelievable. Um, and that that's that's one of the, the the biggest things that I like about this part of the hobby. Before we get too too far to the end, and we talk about, um, I'm gonna have to be on your show multiple times because there, there's oh, I think so much, too. There's Look, too I don't, much to I don't, talk about. As long as as long as you're okay with this time frame, I think we can um, yeah. have yeah, a we part two and three soon. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. But one of the things I want to mention on this first show that makes foreign so interesting too, is that we're digging up skeletons. And what do I mean by that? And what I mean by that is through my research, I've, I've learned and I've found out and I've done all this stuff that Marvel, DC, pick the, com the, the comic company. They didn't give a shit about who licensed their stuff and what they did with it. You know, we're so used to now in the modern age uh, you know, who owns DC? Uh, 20th Century Fox? Or no, no, it's Warner Brothers. Warner, Warner AT, Brothers. Oh, owned, Warner Brothers owned by ATP or APT. Or whatever. Or, and yeah. Disney's own, uh, uh, Marvel's owned by Disney. They've got armies of lawyers. When you license their stuff now, there is a lawyer that goes through the, the translation. There's a lawyer. Yeah, it's much more regulated. Art. Right? There's a lawyer. That, back in the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, no one gave a shit because this was pre-internet. Yeah. Again, this is this is when this shit was never supposed to come back and haunt these companies, <laughs> right? Yeah, but imagine being but, there now and thinking this is a billion-dollar company now. That's that's the that's the stakes. That yeah, the, yeah, that's that's the stakes. It's yeah. not just a, it's not two offices in New York so, anymore, right? So so yeah. think about this. I've tried to get a documentary made, mm. right? And you know what the documentary filmmakers tell me? Got to pay for the references. You'll never get this made. Yeah. You know why? Have you ever thought about why there's not more documentaries about comic book collecting and all that stuff just out and about? Uh, the license is involved. You, you think of all of no, the different. This is why. The comic book companies that own the license, even if you're going to take the journalistic standard. So when you take the journalistic standard, You've got to give in your documentary or whatever you're producing a chance for the license holder to respond. Not only that, they will go in and, and, and so they find out that you're trying to make this, you know, th those documentaries that we've seen, like the toys that made us, yeah, toys yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. Trust me, they they had to go through miles of red tape to get that stuff done. But what normally happens is Let's say Disney's lawyers find out that you're doing a documentary and I'll give, you know, the Marvel uh, Japanese playboys, for example. Do you think Marvel wants those skeletons to be to become unaired? Do what? you think they do you Japanese think that, playboys? I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Japanese playboy has <laughs> exactly, Spider-Man in it. Oh, really? <laughs> and and there's literally a panel where they retell a Marvel. Uh, they retell the Amazing Spider-Man magazine story where uh his spider-man's origin story is told where his uncle ben tells him you know with yeah. great power comes great responsibility yeah. 
that whole thing. Yep. And the Marvel black and white magazine came out in the 70s. Well, anyway, that art ended up in Japanese Playboy. We need a Playboy. And right special. there at the end. Uh, someone's right? going to find that. Who's going right to copy at that? The end, <laughs> you have Uncle Ben talking about with great responsibility, you know, or yeah. with, with, great, with great, great power comes yeah. with great responsibility. And right next to that is a centerfold. <laughs> it was so, like, I always joke with great, with great tits comes. Great responsibility. <laughs> so so anyway the point is these are skeletons buried in, in in marvel and dc's closet they don't want this shit brought back up yeah so what the documentary filmmakers always tell me when i try to get this shit done is there's way too much red tape so what they do is they go in and they find out that you have a project going using their license using their 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 uh in, in properties and they go in and they, even if you're doing a good job and even if you're like totally using kid gloves with it, they don't care. They want the public, uh, so to speak, uh, 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 I'm sorry, guys, I'm, I'm getting drunker as we go on. They want the kind of public out, you know, conversation to be controlled by them. So the basic standard is for those lawyers is that they don't care. They really don't care what you're doing. They come in and they say, hey, we hear you got a really cool documentary using our licenses. And then you go, yeah, are you interested? And then they go, I'm going to write you a check. They write a check. They go, how much did it cost you to make this documentary? And you go, well, we've done this. We've done that. We're looking at like maybe 80,000, 90,000 so far. They write that check and they go, well, we're going to give you a check. <laughs> for $300,000. We really love what you're doing. We're going to give you a check for $200,000, $300,000, whatever. And they said, you can either take this check and make your money that you've spent so far back on it and make some profit, or we're going to sue you and take you for every fucking thing you own. It's like and Mickey Mouse and South Park. Lawyers yeah. <laughs> yeah, will yeah. not because the the big companies, you know, these are big properties. They're worth a lot of money. But back in the fifties, sixties, seventies, even in the eighties, they were flying by the coattails, man. Yeah. They didn't give a fuck. All they cared about was that the check cash. That's right. why there's a Greek Spider-Man dildo issue in Greece mm -hmm. because no one cared, yeah. and so. The other cool thing about this part of the hobby is we're digging up the fucking skeletons. God damn it. We're digging up the skeletons. Did you know that there are instances where DC and Marvel characters fight each other? Did you know that on the cover of a Mexican book, uh, of uh, it's called uh, Arenita. It's like a, it was like a Spider-Man title for little kids. There's a DC villain, the Reaper in it, right on the cover. Wow. They didn't give a fuck because yeah. the publishers got... could do whatever they wanted to do. So yeah. what we're doing is digging up skeletons of these fucking huge yeah. companies. That's the other cool thing about this. I've got I've got the trading card set from South Africa from the late seventies, where the cards aren't numbered. I think there was ninety of them, but it's all DC and Marvel mixed together. Yeah, there's yeah. nobody cares. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Ghost Rider next to Shazam, next to fucking Superman. Remember all of those? Um... Uh, those uh arcade games they had dc versus marvel yeah, they had that oh yeah i don't think well those I, had to have been licensed those yeah, for sure. they had to be related absolutely yeah. but you know those worlds crossing over how often yeah yeah it? all those worlds crossed over long before they crossed yeah. over officially um so, what, the, so the 
the owner of Halo, we were talking about the Halo just before we started recording, right? So the owner no. of Halo um, found a collection during his collecting slash um, comic shop owning times where uh, it was like newspapers from the early 40s in Australia, right? And mm-hmm. it, it was clippings of the, the comic parts. And mm-hmm. it had these squares of Superman comic strips in there. And oh, he's, nice. like, he's like, fuck it. You know what? It's reprints of a comic or it's a, it's a serialized ah. story or whatever. And, and he said he got approached by Americans, wanted to pay thousands for it because it was people in Australia making stories up on the go to publish on the next day. Yeah. Superman character. Yeah. So it's all original, all non-canon. Non-canon. Superman non-canon. stories published in Sydney in the age. It's all non-canon. <laughs> and they're paying thousands for it. Thousands. The Mexican non-canon stuff is a, is a clear example. The Mexicans claim that they flew to New York and they talked with Marvel. And Marvel gave them permission to do whatever the fuck they wanted it because La Prenta, the publisher in Mexico at the time, was publishing their Spider-Man title dual monthly. So that it was twice a month or three times a month, I forget. And so they caught up to the American numbering and they said, hey, Spider-Man's our bread and butter. So according to Roy Thomas, he never gave him permission. According to Marvel, they never gave them permission, but the Mexican artists, publishers, and editors said that they flew to Mexico. And we know this because we know the artist, Jose Luis Duran. They flew to Mexico and they told him, they said, we'll let you guys make your own Spider-Man stories, but we want you to mimic this art style. We want you to mimic the classic Spider-Man art style we you know so they set some boundaries but not really they set some boundaries but they but that's why you get a lot of it's like stanley's writing right (laughs) cover swipes with it right and what's so beautiful about those books is that gwen stacy and the death of gwen stacy was a big deal in america yeah and and they're like no thank you (laughs) in spider-man 122 or 121 she dies and in spider-man 122 the goblin is is killed by Spider-Man and it was a big deal. And, you know, it was a huge deal in America, but in Mexico, Gwen Stacy was stayed alive. They never did the one twenty. got married story. and yeah. And, 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 but this is the cool thing in Mexico. So Jose Luis Duran can draw a woman. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful women. But in Mexico, unlike in America, where the beauty standard was Twiggy, remember the Twiggy model mm-hmm. back in the 70s? Yep. The beauty standard was flat asses, skinny, skinny legs, and all this shit, right? Well, now, as we've advanced, the beauty standard kind of in America has altered itself. It's become more curvy. We like big butts. Well, guess what? In Mexico, they've always liked big butts <laughs> because they, their women ha- eat a diet of beans and rice, right? <laughs> so Jose Luis Duran oh, I could be famous in Mexico. <laughs> you could be. Drew Gwen Stacy with a beautiful full figure and a nice yeah. No, it's amazing ass. books. The books I've seen, they're fucking And these are from though. the 70s. Incredible. Right? So it's yeah. like not only do you and already they're unaffordable, right? Alive, 
Oh, they're all they're like, not like compare, compare I mean, Spider Man 123 to that, like oh, right I've where they of, split off. Rep. Thanks and for that's not their thing. Those are like the first appearances of every storyline of all. And it's, I mean, and they well, and they include some American stories later in that yeah, run, yeah, but that later run has become tough because, interestingly enough, the Mexicans didn't like the writing and they didn't like certain elements of it. Yeah, I think they were a little bit more sophisticated, to be honest, in their writing and the way they did it in Mexico. Yeah, so because they so, had a mature audience, whereas Americans were a kids' audience back then. Right? Yeah, because we had the Comics Code Authority back yeah. then. They didn't. Yeah. Do you want to know where the first blood on a Spider-Man comic appears? Sure, it has to be Mexico. In Mexico. Yeah. On a non-canon Spidey. Nice. There was a blood pool of blood on a guy who's fallen on the ground, um, and that would never appear on a comic in America until. The late 70s, early 80s, when the Comic Code Authority allowed blood on the covers. But the Mexicans didn't have a Comic Code Authority, so they could do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> so yeah, so basically we're we're getting into we're getting into the minutiae. And yeah. we can do that on a but, later. But show. you know what? You know what? All you all you're literally doing is justifying the appeal of those books because of the fact that it is something that only ever happened there. It's something that's unique yeah. to their book and it's their culture. Non-canon. And it's not an American book. canon. And it's amazing, it's a, man. It's amazing. I mean, I have a... I'll, I'll try to post it on the uh, uh, the Grail Grail Hunters yeah, page. Yeah. If yeah. you want, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll I, uh, I did a post about the Big Booty Gwen, which is the big... <laughs> uh, It'll go down well. Cover. But you, know what's, you know what's ironic though is, is this is literally like the spidey verse isn't it it's like you know yes. there's the canon yes. and then there's, there's like there's this yes. ultimate spider-man universe that's happening in mexico <laughs> you're absolutely correct then. but i, I remember the 90s there was an indian spider-man with a with a with a like indian clothes on and stuff like that right yes and did yes uh, india is a whole nother ball of wax yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> india is crazy as fuck man you got so many different languages you got hindi you've got uh english you've got uh there's this uh, india has like what seven different languages spoken yeah. in it. yeah um so there's a bunch but but you're you're exactly right it's like the spider verse before the spider verse <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole nother ball of wax. Let's get into real quick before we have to go uh, where listeners can find some of this stuff. Um, Absolutely, man. Tell us uh, tell us everything about you so people don't okay, have to so, listen to our podcast so to find you again. I'm Define999. I'm Define999 on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. I, I'm not really there a whole lot, but there a lot of people. Do I even me. follow you on Instagram? I don't I know. Don't know. Um, and also on YouTube, check out our show. We haven't done it in a while. Me and a guy named John Z. Oh, I'm following uh, John you. Zerker. John Zercher. He's a comic, uh, CBSI. Uh, yep. He's a great guy. He knows his shit. He knew his shit before Forens. Uh, and him and I became friends and, and I got kind of got him into the foreign stuff. Uh, but he's a great guy. He does Global Comic Safari with me. We haven't done a show in a long time because life has been busy. But oh, same with us, man. We, this is our first time back this year. So we, we have it. a lot of shows on YouTube, Global Comic Safari. Um, you can also find us on the uh, that interview with Matt Nelson was really amazing. Yeah. Uh, the amazing. What, what I'll do is when I publish this, um, I, I usually do a commentary around what the episode's about, but I'll also publish links to that if you don't mind yeah, helping. Links to that. And also, um, Check out our Facebook page. You know, we tried to do the old forum thing. And the thing is with the old forums that they died. It's just it's the very static. Dead. Yeah, it, it's, it's gone. Social media is the new format. 
And so Foreign Comic Collector official group on Facebook, find us, go there, you know, lurk, check out some stuff, learn some stuff, figure out who the old, old school guys are. The beauty is that a lot of the old school guys are more than willing to help noobs, more than willing to, you know, help people. The time being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting where you can, people, is what, uh, what Matt's saying. Because <laughs> you're going to be, you'll turn from, um, from, from a, uh, um, an, an apprentice to competition in no time, I would suspect. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, but this is the thing. This is the thing. A lot of the old school guys just want you to all be happy. Ben, Neville, we would ben. love for you to start your first sets, right? And 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 build them. And Does it drive you crazy? Them. Talk about sets. We spoke about this last week, Ben. Like, he's like, what sets are you going for? I'm like, I don't buy sets. I just buy the ones I like. <laughs> well, like, it doesn't buy me. It, you know, I think OCD people will go crazy for that, right? Yeah, it's yeah, a like completest thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's completest. Completest. Well, but but remember, there's no set rules. This is yeah. such a new, this is the interesting thing. This is such a new part of the hobby that we're everyone's sort of making it up as we go along. Yeah. There, there aren't any set rules. There yeah. aren't any set guardrails. What I think should belong in a set, someone else might not. I'm not going to even pretend to dictate what should belong or what should not. I don't even like to call myself an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. I know the I know the experts of the different countries. Yeah. You know, if I need help with something, I can go to the Aussie expert or the Greek expert or the Brazilian expert. Yeah. But I'm just an enthusiast. I'm just a guy kind of pulling all the things together. Yeah. All I want is this is what I want. I want for you, if you're been discouraged by the normal mainstream comic hobby, I want you to find something new and I want you to go, oh, this is neat. But not only that. I want any of your listeners that are into anything else. I don't care if it's coins. I don't care if it's cards. I don't care what the hobby is. Start going outside of your comfort zone and look at the global, you know, products that are out there. If you're into, I don't give a shit if you're into, uh, you know, Pokemon cards. Japanese. There's got to be Spider-Man foreign edition Pokemon cards, you know. <laughs> yeah. Go, yeah. go out there and find it because it's that it's that joy of going out there and making friends with people from all over the world. It's back to that global citizen yeah. thing. Yeah, That's absolutely. what really what's important here. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank all you right. so much for your, um, for your time. Matt, it's been eye-opening. It's been really fascinating. Just look, all of the different tangents that, uh, that you can take from, from this hobby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Oh, so Matt, just so you know, purely because of the fact that we'll probably post the podcast on on the foreign group anyway. Yes. Um, yes. I've got a panel in San Diego talking about Australian comics uh, coming up on the twenty first of July. So mm-hmm. if anybody in the foreign group is going to be there, I most likely just want to have a piss up with them. They don't have to attend the panel oh, yeah. about Australian comics. Yeah. One so, of the, one of so one I want of the to do a little social like drinking. To do is get everyone ketchup. together. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and hit, anybody hit listening everyone. to this, if you're on that group. And you're in San Diego in July. Let's catch up and talk comics, man. It'll be great. Oh, I'd love to, but I, I see this is my this is this oh, is yeah. my, we're, my we're much easier and closer to get this there. Is, I get this it. is my curse. I could travel or I could buy more foreign comics. Yeah. And Decision. so you know what? My buddy Trent gives me free tickets to San Diego Comic Con. But you know why I don't go? Because I kind of I, I don't want to spend the money. Because I'd rather <laughs> spend the money it's on true. all these foreign books that I've got to get. Yep. Screwed. 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 But see, I, 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 see, Ben for me, Neville, 
you are welcome in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You ever want to come to my area of the United States, you're welcome. We will drink brewskis. You you will be my guests in my home. Can I tell you, if you if you had to tell me you're in Sydney, I'd fly up there to say hi. So I'm going to be in San Diego. You might as well just come. It's a domestic flight. I'll buy the beers. I'll, I'll think about it. How about that? All right. Cool, man. Thanks, All right man. thanks so much for joining us. We'll definitely do this again. I think we've got millions of things to talk about still. Yes. Um, All right. But really appreciate your time. And Ben, thanks. I, I can see you're less hungover than when we started. So that's great. <laughs> Have a great one, guys. All the best, thanks guys. So much. Catch you later. And that's a wrap for episode one. We'd seriously love your feedback on the episode, uh, your thoughts on collecting foreign comics and so forth, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or on the podcast channels. Give us a yell, tell us what you think. If you liked it enough, subscribe, follow us, and we'll keep pumping them out. As always, we'll leave you with local legends, Torrential Thrill and their song Mars. Enjoy. Enjoy.